Yo, what's up? This is Freddie Adu. I want to give a shout out to Adam and Zach from Denver. Uh, they host a uh, EPO podcast called The False Nines. Check them out and, uh, you know, show them some love, man. Peace out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 31st episode of a semi-weekly, now officially bi-weekly, footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend, Adam Goffin. Adam, how are you doing today? Footy, Zach. False Nines on SB Nation Footy. SB Nation footy indeed. So we are so, so excited to be joining the SB Nation team. And for a little bit of background, uh, as I mentioned, my name is Zach. I live out here in Denver, Colorado. I met Adam a few months after moving out here, uh, which was about a year and a half ago. And since then, we have banded together uh, as, as lowly, lowly, sad Newcastle supporters out here in the Mile High City. Yeah, unfortunately, we are um, Geordies. Um probably by choice at some point in our lives, I'm sure. But if we had that time over, maybe we'd make a different different decision. But it is what it is now. We are bound to Newcastle. Um, so definitely big fans of Coming Home, Newcastle, and CHN Radio as well. Um, pleased to be able to collaborate with Greg and Elijah on, uh, on their platform. Um, what I also want to note is that I am a proud Welshman. Um, you might hear some references to my Welsh background on the podcast. Um, moved over here in 2007 and I've been following the tune basically my whole life, Zach. Pretty sad, huh? Pretty pretty sad existence that you've had, Mr. Goffin. Uh, I myself uh, was born and raised in New England. So in a way, I have some sort of arbitrary connection to European football. That's right. In that sense. Lots uh, of place names out there that match the ones uh, in England. A ton of place names. But but yeah, we, we're, we're so excited to be coming under that coming home Newcastle name and we will be coming at you with an EPL podcast so whereas uh, Greg and Elijah and and sometimes we'll be chiming in on CHN radio uh, is more Newcastle centric we're going to be giving you a holistic view of the Premier League um, starting off with predictions for upcoming fixtures uh, talking about past results Uh, and then we have a few kind of more out of the box sections that we'll introduce later in the episode but Overall, very, very excited to get on the channel and get started. Let's get right into it, shall we, Zach? All right, yeah, let's, so we're, we're going to jump into the standings right now. Uh, as everyone knows, it's been a uh, hard, hard two weeks since the last Premier League match. We had to sit through the dreariness that is uh, international breaks. Oh, but we'll get there, pal. We'll get there. It wasn't yeah. dreary for me. I oh, yeah. The up, best time. Up the Welsh. So, uh, yeah, let's let's run through a little recap of what the table looks like going into week 13. Yeah, sure. So, um, top four right now, sitting top of the pile, undefeated, 12 games in, 11 wins, one draw. Liverpool, um, right now on 34 points, looking unstoppable right now. Eight-point gap to second place. Um, Leicester and Chelsea, second and third, respectively, both have 26 points. Um, with the same record of eight wins, two draws, and two losses. And then in fourth place, Manchester City, a point behind. 
falling close to falling out of the top four not really but they're in the top four circling um, relegation circling the relegation <laughs> zone yep i was going to say they are right now 10 points above newcastle so we're, they're within touching distance act <laughs> steve bruce manager of the month for november the, the old four game swing and we're playing them soon it's a that, six pointer that's a six it's a champions league qualification I, six point i have been on that match since the beginning of the of the season it's, so it's going to be phenomenal so there's your top four um just shout out quickly to sheffield united in fifth Unbelievable to see them there. Not one. I I would argue, uh, hot take, I would argue that Sheffield United being in fifth 12 matches into the season is on the level of unexpectedness of Leicester City winning the title in 2015. Yeah, it's incredible. Uh, We'll we'll get more into them a little bit later, but um, great performance. Wanted to give them a shout out. Um, Bottom three, Watford in 18th. They got their first win at Norwich. 19th, Southampton. um, And Norwich in uh, last place in 20th with seven points. Watford, Southampton have eight points. Norwich have seven points. And then there's a four-point or three-point gap between 18th and 17th with Villa, who we play on Monday. We do. And also, a quick note on that, a massive goal differential as well between the bottom three and everyone else. Uh, Watford, Southampton, Norwich, respectively, with a minus 15, minus 18, and minus 17 goal differential. That's what Vill- happens when you get spanked 9-0 at home. By Leicester. By Leicester, indeed. Uh, Villa, though, sitting just on top of that pile with a uh, minus three. So, um, as we all know, goal differential plays a huge part down the stretch. But about a, a third of the way into the season, that's what the table looks like. And hopefully we see some shakeups this weekend. I, I do hope so. Speaking of this weekend, let's get right into Saturday games. Uh, the talk right now on everyone's mind is all about well really what's going to happen in this game but more so because of the managerial change that happened this week so first game on saturday the early game is west ham at home to spurs two teams going into this we were about to talk about this we had our notes written up we were talking about how two managers that are you know on the brink not anymore one of them's firmly off the brink <laughs> fire left the brink mr pochettino is no more and who's come back in the spurs Special one. What do you make about the recent ongoing, uh, recent changes for Spurs at the managerial position? It really does seem like a an overly vivid dream in, in North London, just in the sense of how quickly everything has happened. So to recap, everybody, uh, on uh, Tuesday evening uh, of this week, uh, news was announced that Tottenham Hotspur has parted ways with. Uh, Murcio Pochettino after five and a half years at the club. I was amazed it was that long. It doesn't five, seem that long. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem that long. And uh, five and a half years at the club, Pochettino is gone. Within 24 hours, the confirmation of Jose Mourinho back in the Premier League. Uh, obviously, moves had been made prior to the firing. Um, it you know if it's a 24-hour period, you you know that pretty much it was signed, sealed, delivered that uh, Mourinho was going to be there. Yep. Um, but really a shocker. And if you showed me this fixture um, a, a few weeks ago and said between Pochettino and Pellegrini, who will be fired first? I would say Pellegrini a hundred times out of a hundred. Yep. Um, to me. Although we had talked numerous times about the, the seat getting hotter and hotter for Pochettino, I never really thought he was going to get fired. I didn't, be honest with I that. didn't either. I mean, and when you look at his managerial record, Pochettino is one of those managers that he hasn't won anything yet. 
But he's getting closer and closer. He's a Champions League finalist last yep. season. Um, he's somebody that you know is very highly regarded. There was rumors that Real Madrid were in the market for him recently before they appointed Zidane. Um, so somebody very highly regarded. I know Manchester United were also interested in him too. Um, there's talk already about Bayern Munich potentially having so him what, that's what come I've in heard. as manager. Um, so we'll we'll see how that goes. But you know he's been managing teams since 2009. Espanyol he took over in 2009. That's 10 years, no trophies. So I can see oh, no trophies in his whole career. No trophies ah, as a manager. I didn't realize that. Um, so yeah, okay. former player, and he won some some kind of minor awards as a player and trophies as a player, but none as a manager. So I kind of understand the why. Um, I just feel like he's been improving. The um, when, the when is the year, issue. Year over year. Yeah. Um, but you know, Daniel Levy makes knee jerk decisions and reactions, doesn't he? That's the sort of um, manager or sort of owner that he is, and he wants a manager in place. Um, for the first time in a long time, that's going to potentially win him trophies. Yeah, and uh, I mean, credit to Jose Mourinho, the man has made a career out of winning trophies. Sure has. Uh, obviously, people talk about his much maligned time at Man United, but even within that, winning the Europa League, being yeah. a, a runner-up in the Premier League, winning the League Cup as well, winning me. the League Cup, yep. uh, the man does put medal on on the shelf. Uh, going into this match specifically, though. Uh, two teams that are both in huge need of a victory. Yeah. So, so West Ham six games now without a win uh, in their last six, it, it within league play, um, and yeah, they 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 look out of sorts in a very similar way to Spurs. I think this is a matchup of two teams that are going through similar growing pains at the minute. Both teams on paper should be far far higher up the table than they are. Yeah, I agree. They've had good investment at West Ham as well, and. Um, you mentioned the six games without a win. The last time that happened, um, Slavin Bilic got fired and David Moyes came in. Um, so they haven't done that yet. Um, they've, they've you know, not been playing well, I would say. Roberto, their goalkeeper, like, shocker in the last game. Horrible, horrible mistakes. They need to get Fabianski back as soon as possible. Um, and then Lanzini, unfortunately, broke his collarbone in that last game in that 3-0 loss at Burnley. So that's going to be a big miss for them. I think they're going to struggle. I think this game is going to be obviously got new manager syndrome coming in. Um, one of the things that we do is we make predictions here. And just to kind of really give a recap for our listeners, um, Zach and I are actually going to be predicting uh, as a new SB Nation initiative. We're going to be making predictions from now through the end of the season. If we correctly predict the scoreline, we will get three points. If we correctly predict the winner of the game or that it's a draw, we will get one point. We'll be keeping a tally through the end of the season. The loser will have to purchase a jersey with name and number on it for the winner. And our listeners, the False Nines crew, will get to choose what that jersey is. Get excited, folks. <laughs> with many a dramatic pause in that sentence, Adam is correct. We will be making predictions throughout the for, season. for effect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for beautiful cinematic effect. Yeah. Um, for this match, I am... I think Spurs wins it. I, I think that... Uh, no know, one's away from home this season. No one's away from home this season, but I think they they I think the players understand how much they need to win. Um, okay. And although a big gripe about Spurs so far this season has been the seemingly lackluster effort level by the players on the field, I think they pick it up for this one. I think the the whole uh, London Derby aspect of it might rile up some players. There are quite a few English players on that team. Uh, I'm gonna go. <sighs> 
I think 2-1 Spurs in this match. Is that right? Well, that's exactly what my prediction was. 2-1 Spurs? So, okay. Um, so we're... 2-1 Spurs, I like it. I don't think they'll keep... They've been playing poorly defensively recently, so I don't think they keep West Ham off the score sheet. But I think they know Harry Kane's in good form for England recently. Um, I think that Spurs will win this one 2-1 also. We'll make sure we have some differing opinions on the, on fixtures as we go <laughs> through the rest of the... I think, that's the I think that score would be kind of the common guess on yeah. this one. Yeah. Um, good to see them hopefully break their duck away from home. Absolutely. And so staying in London, the next match on Saturday, Arsenal hosting Southampton. So two teams coming off losses. Arsenal now sitting in six after losing 2-0 to Leicester in their last match. Southampton uh, sitting in lowly 19th, as Adam mentioned before. Their last match uh, and their last loss came at the hands of Everton, who got a much-needed win in that one. Uh, Two teams trending downward. Certainly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, we talked about two managers that were under a lot of pressure, and obviously Pochettino, who's now gone, and then Manuel Pellegrini. Another one is, um, is Unai Emery right now. Three wins in nine for Arsenal. Um, they played at Leicester. They looked toothless in attack. Mm-hmm. Um, they, have, they have Lacazette back now. There's no excuses for them. They're playing poor. Work rate, to me, looked like it wasn't there for them. Um, uh, my prediction is that it's not now, now before they make a managerial change at Arsenal. Um, I think they could potentially... If there's any interest on Pochettino's part, you know, that would be an interesting thing to see him move across Ooh, North London. Uh, I don't think he would do it. I don't know. You, know, you, you, never, you heard from, um, from Mourinho before that he said he'd never manage Tottenham. That, he said he would never do that to Chelsea fans, and he just did it. That's true. Revenge um, is a dish best served cold in North London. Yeah, but I mean, who, who knows? I, I just think that Emery's time might be coming to a close there, but this is a massive home game for them. They need to make sure this is three points against a Southampton team um, who, who you know, really not been playing well they got drubbed 9-0 at home to Leicester um, I, I feel like you you can sense in just watching Southampton um, that the writing is on the wall um, for our friend Ralph Hassenhood they just look like they're on the downward spiral and I could see him being another manager that gets called here pretty soon yeah it, it is a uh, so like it, in the same way that matches between Two teams next to each other in the table are, are six pointers. This is almost like a I don't know. A, a, this is almost like a I'm trying to come up with a clever phrase, but a who gets sacked first yeah. uh, type match where you know a loss genuinely could spell the the end of the reign of either of these two managers. Uh, yeah, I mean I know that we're we're now going to just start the the prediction accuracy contest, but uh, as I mentioned in our last podcast, I was positive that Leicester was going to win that match 2-0 against Arsenal uh, and the back line is shaky the attacking is uh, Bamiyang is is really the only one up there right now and and you know it's it's pretty incredible with Arsenal that how much money they've invested in the the midfield specifically center midfield over the last few years the supply just still isn't there no uh, it really isn't and uh, they've. I mean, uh, although I do think Arsenal will win this match, I think that the re- the the formula for beating Arsenal is kind of you know a, a public forum for the rest of the Premier League teams right now. It's it's shut down. Uh, you know, keep keep a man up to speed with Aubameyang and and just kind of win the center of midfield, and that's it. And run at David Luiz in the hopes that he gives away a penalty, given that he's conceded the most in the Premier League this season. That's yeah, that's true. I, I mean, it's. For, for a team that's in six and for a team that's always in six, it seems like 
Arsenal seems to be at their weakest point right now that they have been in a number of years. Yeah, I said the same thing. And, you know, maybe that is something that will get Unai Emery the benefit of the doubt for a little bit longer. I just think he can be graded on the signings that he's brought in. And when you look at the players that he's brought in, like David Luiz, um, just desperate signings to me. Um, just I, I can't see Arsenal putting up with this for much longer. Six is about as low in the table as I think that their um, their ownership will let them get. Um, so I think this is going to be a must-win game for Arsenal. And if Southampton could take a point, that would be a massive result for Hasenhutl. So speaking of results, what, what is your prediction for this one, Zach? 1-0 Arsenal. 1-0 Arsenal, okay. I've got 2-1 Arsenal. Um, and the reason I went for a goal for Southampton is because Danny Ings was on the score sheet again in their last game um, against Everton. So I feel like he's in decent form. Maybe Southampton take the lead in this one and Arsenal come back and you know, assert their dominance on the game. We will see. We will see indeed. So, so Adam's sticking with another 2-1 result. I like uh, my 2-1s, apparently. You do like your 2 That's a very safe winning prediction. I want the make. three points, Zach. Yeah. It's, I want the three points. <laughs> yeah, it's, just, it's, it's very much so uh, hedging on defenses, you know, being, being as uh, porous as they are in the Prem. Uh, so next match uh, that we're going to hop on to is the South Coast, uh, South Coast battle here. It's Brighton hosting... Leicester, uh, Brighton, in their last match uh, against Man United, a, a pretty tough three-one loss in which they were beaten handily. I would say. Uh, yep. They now sit at eleventh. The Foxes continue to run up to second in the table with the result in the Liverpool-Manchester City match two weeks ago. They won with that two-nil win at Arsenal, and things truly could not be more positive uh, in. East England right now, or excuse me, West England right now for Leicester. Yeah, for those that um, aren't regular listeners to the pod um, previously on our previous platform, just know that Zach is a big Leicester fan. It's kind of his second favorite team behind Massive Newcastle. Leicester fan. Um, and I some, am also, some would say lifelong backup Leicester City fan. That's right. Yeah, when Newcastle aren't doing well, expect him to don <laughs> the blue King Power jersey. I mean, I, I'd, be, I'd be nothing of a foreign footy fan if I didn't have my backup plan in place. <laughs> Uh, I, on the other hand, uh, uh, really kind of root for Bournemouth outside of Newcastle. Uh, that's because they're kind of Wales Junior with all the Wales players they have on their team. Chris yeah. Meppham, um, David Brooks. They're, they're the... Uh, Harry Wilson, the king of Corwin. They're, 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 the, uh, they're the Welsh version of the Newcastle Newcastle French contingent of 2012. That's Lay, right. Lay-tune. And Eddie Howe is just a fantastic manager. But yeah. anyway, back to Brighton, Leicester. Um you, you mentioned it. The loss at Man United was less for me about how poor Brighton were and, and more about how good Man United were. That's uh, fair. And we'll speak, we'll speak to Man United here um, in a bit. But back to Brighton. Three wins and two losses in their last five games. Not bad form for a team that many were tipping for relegation. Um, but that consistency isn't there right now. I do think that they're picking up enough points to be pretty safe. But this is a lesser team that is on fire right now. Jamie Vardy, 20 goals in 22 games. Um, since Brendan Rodgers took over at Leicester. That's incredible. James Madison is 5-7 and seven right now. Um, they're looking great. They're getting great service from the wings. Ben Chilwell is playing well, both for Leicester and for England. Pereira is gaining a lot of plaudits for his performances too. What's the ceiling this, this season for the, for the Foxes as a biased Leicester fan? I mean, I've said the ceiling is top four since the beginning. since Not the beginning of the season, but since a few weeks in, I, I've thought that, you know, besides... City and Liverpool, and now it looks like City is slipping a bit. I, I think that Leicester City is the 
third best team in the Premier League. I think that Brendan Rodgers is a front runner for manager of the season already. You think um, Leicester's a better team than Chelsea? Yes, on experience alone. I, I think that the where where the the one not criticism, but the one question about Chelsea is is their youth. I think that Leicester has the experience. They have players like Vardy. They have players like Schmeichel, uh, who you know have have been there time and time again for many years. Actually, even Chilwell, uh, who really hasn't been making a huge name for himself until this season, was on that team that won the the title uh, just a few years ago. So I, I think that they do have that in their locker. And what's cool about Leicester to me is that. They really like have made a successful team in a very similar mold to Liverpool. And and what I mean by that is yeah, they don't have that front three of equal power that Liverpool has, but the emphasis on wing back play is there with both clubs. So, you know, Liverpool has kind of reinvented uh, what a, a fullback is with Trent Alexander-Arnold and um, Andy Robertson on those wings playing like borderline midfielders. And as you just mentioned, Chilwell and Pereira doing very similar things. Yeah, Tossing right. the balls into the box. You have that center midfield. Lesser, it would be James Madison at Liverpool. I would say Jorginho Wijnaldum fills a similar role. Mm-hmm. Two really exciting teams. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that Lester not only walks this one, but continues to really knock on that door for the title this season. No bias whatsoever, listeners. No bias whatsoever. Could okay. you argue with one thing I said there? I don't argue with anything you said. <laughs> All right. But I believe there's a blue shirt underneath that white shirt you're wearing. So. Uh, there, there, there's a blue shirt in the heart. It's a, it's a heart pumping blue blood right now. <laughs> uh, okay, so with that in mind, I'll give you my prediction first. I'm, I'm also picking a Leicester win here. I don't think they keep Brighton off the score sheet. Brighton have actually been pretty free scoring after the disastrous few previous seasons that they have had with yeah. this with their skeleton Glenn Murray up front. Um, but I think they get a goal here. I think Leicester comes out comfortably winners 3-1. Yeah, I was going to say 3-0 Leicester. 3-0 Leicester. All right. Okay. We know that one down for you here, Zach. Make sure that I'm keeping you honest. All righty. Appreciate that. So so the next match that we're going on to, uh, the first match that we're touching upon uh, for this upcoming week that's between two clubs who are coming off a win in their last match. Incredibly, the two clubs are coming off a win here. Yeah, so it's so a Watford uh, finally getting their first win of the season against Norwich, uh, who is now the the definite Norwich rele- Norwich the definite relegation club. Apologies, Chris Goffin, Adam's <laughs> father, uh, a, a big time at Norwich fan. That's a really really poor decision growing up there. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, uh, hosting Burnley, so Burnley up to tenth now with a three 0 win over West Ham, who, as we said, have been trending downward but really the story for Watford right now and I have a feeling that this will be the case for the rest of the year is the form of Gerard De La Feu. Yeah De La Feu really stepped up in their last game he needed to and he did he got a goal and an assist against Norwich in that 2-0 win um, amazing that it's so tight around the bottom of the league that Watford go 11 games into the season and have zero wins they finally get a win and it moves them up two places, right? So yeah. it's really, really tight at the bottom of the table. A lot there. of underperforming teams. Yeah, and they're only three points off of Villa in 17th as well. So um, definitely able to catch them. Um, somebody I want to give a shout out to, I feel in the last couple of games has been Ben Foster. For his he, he is the reason that they're remotely close to getting out of the relegation zone. Yeah, great, great game against Norwich again after um, almost scoring in the previous game yeah. um, to tie it up in the 94th minute. Um, do we think maybe an England recall on the cards at 36 years old for Ben Foster? 
an England recall as a novelty, really. Like an England <laughs> recall for, for depth. An England recall as if we get three, if all three of our substitutions had about to come from goalie injuries. Uh, yeah. I don't think he'll start a game for England for the rest of his career, but I do think that his form has been immense. And I think that's something that kind of goes under the radar uh, in terms of talking about teams fighting relegation is, you know, obviously they're shipping goals and, and their goal differential is not pretty, but you do still need a keeper who can pull out a match like he had against Norwich or the, the match against Chelsea was the best goalkeeping performance I've seen this season. Yeah. yeah even even though they lost it. Yeah, and it could have been it could have been a cricket score had he been, you know, they, Chelsea converted all the chances that they created, but he kept him in it. Um, chance, like we said, in the last minute to tie it up. Didn't didn't quite get there, but, you know, Let's make sure we give him a good shout out. What about Burnley? Um, um, great win for them against West Ham. How are you feeling about their prospects right now? Yeah, so the two uh, the two exciting young forwards in Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood were back on the score both sheet. Both on the score sheet. Both, same game. both on the score sheet. It's a, it's a Demba Ba, Poppy, Cissé-like situation that they're finding themselves in. Uh, this was a massive win for Burnley. Uh, they, you know, were, were playing some, some good football, but as we said on the last episode, the goals were kind of starting to dry out a bit. Uh, Ashley Barnes started off with four goals in three matches to start the season. Haven't scored too many since then, but it was, it was very, very important that they, you know, kind of kept doing what they're doing. And it's something I'd say about Burnley that, you know, you, you, it commands a bit of respect is that Sean Dyche, even when times are tough, he sticks with his game plan. He sticks with yeah. his managerial style. And what that style is, is you pump the ball up and we score goals off corner kicks. And it worked <laughs> against West Ham. A little a little harsh, I think, on Sean Dyche. But what I, what I will say is... If you can tell me one more element to his coaching style, <laughs> I would be amazed. He praises his players and brings up their morale and their spirit to get the best performances out <laughs> four, of them. 4-4-2. <laughs> it's pretty traditional 4-4-2. Um, but last game before that was a 3-0 loss at Sheffield United. And I would say probably the worst that I've seen Burnley play in a long time Mm -hmm. so you know credit to Dice he got a response from his team um, I'm sure that I would want to be in the dressing room after that loss against Chef- Sheffield United. Man, spin- spinning out gravel. <laughs> he would be throwing shoes and bricks at people, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, but they got the win, and they got it comfortably. Um, Chris Wood got a new contract as well. I don't know if you heard about that. I did. Um, so he's going to be at Burnley for, for many years to come now. Um, Good for him. A little bit of a journeyman like, around at Leeds before that. So. Chris, Chris Wood is absolutely in the conversation of players where you could tell me his age is anywhere in a 15-year range, and I would believe you. <laughs> That's a good point. Like you could say, Chris Wood is on his thirty eighth. I want to say late twenties. That'd be my guess. Okay, we'll we'll, we'll look it up after the pod. Right. Um, but but yeah, so so that was an important win. Uh, that being said, I, I think for predictions on this one, two teams that are not free scoring, I'm going to go with a nil nil draw. I was going for a one one on this one, Zach. So um, we'll go for that. Um, so take a nil nil for you and a one one for me. Yeah. So so draws a piece that those of different scoring, uh, but yeah, I, I don't think a lot of goals in this match. I think that Burnley's able to uh, kind of section off uh, Dale Lefeu as it really does seem like that's really the one outlet that the Watford has. Uh, but going into the next match, uh, there will be goals in this one. So well, we're 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 having Palace hosting. Liverpool, Palace coming off 2-0 loss to Chelsea. 3-0 uh, Palace. Uh, 3-0 Palace in this one? Yep. Okay. We're going to get to your incorrect predictions in a moment here. Uh, Palace, 2-0 loss to Chelsea in their last match. They're sitting in 12th. Uh, Liverpool still flying high. Have yet to lose a game in 12 this season. Last win, a dramatic 
3-1 win at Manchester City. Comfortable. And comfortable, I, I would agree with that. Uh, and the first thing I need to say about that game was all three of the Liverpool goals were world class. Yeah. Yeah, they were. Um, and Fabinho, that strike to make it 1-0. Whew. As a peach. See, I so I absolutely was a peach, but I would say the most impressive goal they scored was the second one. Yep. You had Trent Alexander-Arnold really kind of cornered into the, the back of the field, sees his partner Andy Robertson on the other wing. And this is something that Jurgen Klopp has pretty much invented with Liverpool. I don't think any team really in history previous to, to Liverpool has made so much use of wingbacks playing the ball to one another. So Alexander-Arnold hitting this beautiful hooking pass that not only splits the defense, but just puts the ball right in the in the running path for Robertson. He takes one touch, raises his head, and from about 45 yards out, plays a Kevin De Bruyne-like pass in stride. <laughs> Mo Salah, one bounce header. It was pretty much a span of five seconds between when the ball left Trent Alexander-Arnold's foot, traveled 60 yards across the field, and then was in the back of the net. That goal was unbelievable to me. Like a knife through butter, wasn't it? it was, Absolutely. It was, it was great to watch. Um, Liverpool now... Are, are just looking unstoppable. Um, really, really great performance from them against City. Um, one thing I want to bring up is, I don't know if you saw this one, there was a really contentious penalty call. Absolutely. A nil -nil, I bring that a up. A nil-nil for a Trent Alexander-Arnold handball right before the Fabinho goal. What would you make of that one? you think they got that one right or wrong? I think they got it wrong, and I think that that is another nail in the growingly large coffin that is the opinion that VAR, VAR is doing far more bad for football than it is doing good. Because yeah. if that's called, let's you, you'd assume statistically City puts it away, goes up 1-0, the game has a completely different complexion. Absolutely. Uh, you know, taking no credit away from Liverpool for the rest of the match, they, as you said, bossed from the first moment to the last. It seemed like Manchester City was a mid-table mid side against them. But yeah, the fact that you you see these things happening like in the in the Spurs-Sheffield uh, United game two weeks ago where the Sheffield United goal was ruled off because of offsides by a mere, what, three millimeters? Mm -hmm. Yet it seems like a clear handball in the box isn't called. The subjectiveness and the arbitrary decision-making that goes with VAR is so undefined and it's so critically important to the match in what happens when the monitor is you know, brought into it. I, I think they, they need to sort it out or get rid of it immediately. I don't know that they're going to sort it out before the end of the season. No. I, re I really don't think they're going to pivot and make any big changes to how they're doing things before the year ends and they really take stock of a full season in review. And that's going to lead to potentially mistakes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think this was one of them. I agree with you. So good win for Liverpool. Great win for Liverpool. Now coming up against the Palace side at Palace. Um, crazy stat here, I heard. Um, they've actually played nine Premier League games in a row in London. <laughs> what? <laughs> so they've played five home games. Are they walking to matches they nowadays? They've played five <laughs> home games, and their last four away games have been at Arsenal, West Ham, Spurs, and Chelsea. That's unbelievable. Isn't that ridiculous? That's 
incredible. Yeah. How did uh, you find that statistic? Uh, I, I just have my resources yeah, here. So. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Yep. Not uh, revealing on the first podcast. I, I, won't, I won't. I love my statistics. So they've had a really tough run of games. They basically have played, you know, top four teams in their last four. They're playing Liverpool now. Um, and then I think they have one more tough game coming up and then they have a little bit more favorable run of form. So a predictable fall down the table for them, I would say. Um, I expect them to pick up a little bit soon, but um, Zaha, I think, has been in good form. Maybe I think he deserves a little mention from us as well. Yeah. Um, Zaha finally finding some of the form that he saw last season. Yeah, and I, I think uh, kind of when, when you look at the instability that was at Selhurst Park this summer with uh, Zaha's holdout, uh, you know, the lack of additions that were being made to the squad and also the underperformance of a number of the players that were bought last summer. Max Meyer. Remember three years ago when Max Meyer was in the conversation for like a top German midfielder? I mean, what's happened to that guy now? You see Palace now in 12th, and I think that's that's pretty good to see after that run of fixtures that you just mentioned. Uh, I, I don't think they have a good time in this one, but I also think that this match could be... It could be a tough one for Liverpool. Yeah, I don't see it being a cakewalk either. Um, so with that in mind, I'm actually going to predict a 2-0 win for Liverpool. I don't think they run away with it. I think Palace makes it tough. They've been defensively pretty solid this season. Um, so I'm going for 2-0 Liverpool. Yeah, I, I hate to copy, but that, that was the prediction I had. And I, I think it does come in the form of one of those matches where uh, Palace holds them at bay for 60, 65 minutes. Liverpool gets their first, gets the second on a counterattack to end the game. Cool. All yeah. right. So Liverpool um, versus Palace. We are both picking 2-0 Liverpool wins. Let's move on to the next game. Bournemouth hosting Wolves. Bournemouth coming off a 2-1 loss at Newcastle. Newcastle. Oh, who are the lads? Yep. Uh, and then playing at home against Wolves, who are coming off a 2-1 win against Villa in the uh, West Midlands Derby. So yeah. ninth, A six-pointer. A six-pointer, if you will. Yeah. Ninth place eighth. Well. Um, Bournemouth... Um, First and foremost, I think there's no better time than to say this than right now. Congratulations to Wales for qualifying for their second successive European Championships. On the score sheet against Newcastle and on the score sheet against Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan. on Saturday was Harry Wilson, the King of Corwin. Um, Bournemouth right now, though, not playing well in the league. <laughs> not playing well, and I'm a little bit worried, to be honest. They're still in ninth. Um, but they are not comfortably in ninth. They could easily be dragged down into the relegation mire if they don't start doing better soon. One win in five. Is it is it Groundhog Day at Bournemouth right now? I, I mean, la so. last season going a very similar way. They were starting off pretty pretty hot, being uh, in that conversation alongside Wolves for a top six finish, and then Bournemouth having a horrendous end to the season in in the 2018-2019 campaign. Obviously, yes, you, we are far, far ahead of that happening. But you're right, they, they have not been playing terribly well as of late. The goals specifically from Wilson and Joshua King, who we have kind of nodded at as a top striking partnership in the Premier League, uh, not coming. It, it seems like uh, as was the case uh, for a number of games for Ashley Barnes and Chris Wood. Team's kind of figuring out how to play King and uh, and Wilson a little bit. Yeah, I think that's that's fair. I think that they're you know they're they're really trying to um, 
kind of play against them in a way that will nullify the best parts of Bournemouth's attack, which is that kind of free-flowing football that they're they're well known for. They're known for scoring a lot of goals. And they haven't been recently, so I think your your point of teams finally figuring them out is a good one. On the flip side of that, I think Wolves have kind of had the opposite start to the season that, yeah. that Bournemouth have had. They've been slowly kind of like bringing their way up the table after a real struggle to start with, um, and now they're up to eighth place. They're not that far off the top top five they're a point actually off fifth at this at this point in the league um and they're really starting to click so even with that added fixture congestion of the europa league i think wolves are 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 really playing a lot better now and i think that ruben neves's goal was testament to that they've been putting some great training ground uh, moves together ruben neves with that goal against villa looked really really well worked and then jimenez jota triore as well all in good form yeah uh (laughs) I'm going to make a bold prediction in this one that all of the goals that are scored in this, what I'll now present to you my prediction, in what I believe will be a 1-1 draw, both of the goals will be uh, a training ground routine. So Bournemouth getting their goal against Newcastle from a gorgeous corner kick routine, a short corner played back to uh, the man who who took it and played in to uh, the King of Corn himself to to slot the way at Tyneside. Yeah, I I think that both of these teams do operate under this kind of like tactically complex structure. And I think 1-1 is a good split of the spoils in this one. Yeah, I like that. Um, that, That's a pretty, pretty solid prediction. Two teams that are obviously like kind of up there in the league. I'm going though with my heart here with this one. I'm gonna go with a 2-1 win for Bournemouth. Um, I do think that um, after the game against Newcastle, there are going to be some questions asked in the dressing room from Eddie Howe. And I think they come out firing all cylinders in this one, especially with the home home crowd advantage. So 2-1 Bournemouth for me, um, feeling like the Cherries have got this one. Yeah, oh, okay. All right. Um, Everton. Norwich. Oh, Everton. Bottom dwellers. Yeah. <laughs> A piece. Everton... In 15th, finally getting that, that must-needed win against Southampton. Adam, you and I on our last podcast before that match agreed that if they did not beat Southampton and if, dare I say, they lost to Southampton, Marco Silva would not be working at Everton Football Club. Now, lives to see another day. He did. Norwich in a, in a much worse position. The goals from Timu Puki have certainly dried up, and they are sitting at the bottom of the table in 20th, having lost 2-0 to former bottom dweller Watford. Uh, probably the, the fixture for the weekend that the least amount of people are looking forward Everybody to. Everybody and their mother will be tuning into <laughs> this one. What are you talking about, Zach? No, Goodison uh, Park will be rocking for this one. It'll be probably one of the games that we spend the least amount of time on. I will say that Marco Silva asked for more from Richarlison. I don't know if you saw that. He called him out. And he it did, was very directly, yeah. In the press, it was talked about. Um, and he got the winning goal in that game. So 2-1 win, like we said, against Southampton with Richarlison coming up with the winner. Norwich on the other side are looking terrible right Awful. now. Puki did score for Finland in the international break. I'll say that. But he is zero goals and seven at the moment. Um, they have the worst away record in the Premier League. Five losses and a draw in six games right now. Who was the last win that Norwich had? Uh, I believe that was against the the high flyers at our Newcastle United. It was not. 
That was their first win. They've won two games this season. Who have they beaten? They've beaten Newcastle and who else? Do you remember? Ah, did they beat Villa? They beat Manchester City. Oh, yeah, that's Three right. 2 at home. How can I? I have no idea who was on the score sheet there. What was it? Oh, Pookie did get the winner in that one, didn't he? I think he did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, wow. What a weird combination of two wins for what a team now in 20th. What a strange season for the Canaries. I would say that the, the Premier League season is much like the American football season this year where you just are never really sure who is good and who is bad. <laughs> so I think we're going to pick similar predictions here in the team who we think is going to win this one, Zach. Um, I'm going with a 3-1 Everton win in this one. Ooh. I think Pookie gets on the score sheet this week. Okay, yeah. I mean, I don't trust the Everton back line, but I think being at home certainly helps our cause. I'll go 2-0 Everton. 2-0 Everton. Norwich kept off the score sheet again. Again, yeah. They, they're going to continue to plummet, I think. They... Their hard times await uh, the, the Canaries, um, despite them having my favorite uh, keeper in the last 10 years, which is Tim Cruel. Tim Cruel, Newcastle right. legend. Uh, All right. I would say this is probably the biggest game of the weekend, and it rounds out the Saturday fixtures. Um, Man City at home to Chelsea. Fourth place, third in a mouth-watering fixture at the top of the table. Yeah, so this one, I mean, <laughs> Manchester City coming off a pretty resounding loss. Uh, away at Anfield, and this is probably, I, I would say, besides playing at the King Power Stadium against Leicester, is the fixture that they would least want to see. And not just due to the, the state of the table, but, but confidence right now. I think that Chelsea is brimming with confidence. Uh, the, the young formula, the youth that is Frank Lampard and his players really coming together so far, defying a lot of expectations. I know that you and I had Chelsea at a kind of lower top half finish, uh, to go into this year, but I, I think most people were fairly, uh, you know, fairly suspicious of their chances, and they have really been coalescing into a, a beautifully, uh, I'd say, rich midfield with so much talent in Mason Mount. I have to shout out the American legend Christian Pulisic has been playing fantastic football sure at the has, moment. Yeah. Uh, he has five goals now on the season, despite the fact that uh, he was unable to find himself into the team for for large portions of of this young campaign and it's going to be a tough one for City that's for sure even at home yeah I think this one's going to be definitely a tough game for them Chelsea have actually won six in a row now since they lost to Liverpool at home in September so um, really in great great form Lampard for me in the conversation for manager of the season at this point would you quick pause would you if the vote was taken today would you vote for him or for Brendan Rodgers but Jurgen Klopp has won 11 games. But Jurgen Klopp is... But I think that... I, I don't know. I think with manager of the season, there are two ways to look at it. It's either based on expectation... Versus achievement. Versus achievement. So yeah. on achievement, Jurgen Klopp should be the only person that's being voted for. Mm-hmm. But on expectation, I think that Brendan Rodgers is miles ahead of anybody else. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I might even make a shout for Chris Wilder to be manager of the season at this yeah, point. Yeah, at Sheffield United, absolutely. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, a lot of people in the conversation there. Uh, anyhow, get anyhow, any anyhow, anyhow. Uh, getting getting back to the fixture at hand, uh, Manchester City. Uh, I, as I said, at home, but like, how much does a home field advantage benefit Manchester City? I don't know. This is a huge game for them, though. They've got a rebound after that Liverpool game, and they're uh-huh. below Chelsea. They're a point behind, so they they need a win in this one to keep them in the title race. Um, this is going to be a, a tough one to predict. Um, I'm going to go against the grain here, and I'm going to say that Chelsea come out with a win at City 
Three two. I think it's gonna be a high scoring affair. How many does Pulisic score? Zero, because he's gonna get less than ten this season. Move on. Okay. Uh, I I don't know. I, I I think this has two two draw written all over it for me. Two, I, I think two. that both of these teams are gonna be chomping at the bit. I think that both of the managers are gonna you know really be uh, trying to trying to come out and get that first goal, and I, I think that defenses will be a, a bit a bit porous in, in this one. Um, yeah, I think 2-2. I think that ever since, uh, you know, last year ended and uh, Vincent Company, Company left, um, there there have been questions at the back line for, for City. Uh, the, the injury to Imeric Laporte was the worst thing that could have possibly happened to them, I would argue. Yeah. Uh, I thought, and I remember you and I spoke about this in early season, that he was one of the standout players last year for City. I think their back line has been very, very shaky uh, since that injury happened. And I don't think I was aware of the lack of depth that they had at center back until yep. that injury happened. So um, shame on them for all the money that they've got that they didn't have sufficient backup at center defense. <laughs> They're the anti-Newcastle United have, who have way too many center backs. <laughs> yeah, 67% of our goals coming from, <laughs> from our defense. So let's let's enjoy that. So so you, you said 3-2 Chelsea? 3-2 Chelsea. I'm going for a win here. Ooh, away from home. That, yeah, I mean... Uh, my days. Imagine if after this weekend, Sheffield United sits ahead of Manchester City in the table. Mm, I don't see that happening, but okay. <laughs> that would be unbelievable. All right, so so we're going to take a quick break uh, for, for commercials and plugs, but we will be back in a moment to cover the Sunday and Monday fixtures coming up this weekend. And we're back again to wrap up the the final two fixtures of the weekend. Uh, this being the only match this Sunday, which is a bit of a rare occurrence, just one match on Sunday. It's uh, the only other match besides uh, Chelsea-Manchester City that features two teams in the top half. It's high-flying Sheffield United hosting Manchester United. Sheffield United sitting two places above Man U in the table in fifth after their 1-1 draw at Spurs. Uh, Manchester United coming off a big one themselves, that 3-1 win against Southampton. Uh, first thing I would want to touch on here, South uh, Sheffield United pretty hard done by not getting all three points against Spurs. Yeah, I agree. And before we get into that, let's talk about expectations versus reality. Beginning of the season, Sheffield United, Man United, fifth against seventh with Sheffield United in fifth. Kudos to Sheffield United. Very, very good performances so far this season and looking really, really impressive right now. But to your point, uh, very hard done by against Spurs. That was a contentious offside call um, that could have got them the equalizing goal a little bit earlier there. They finally got it later in the game and very deservedly so, I would say. That was the final nail in the coffin for Pochettino. Um, but, you know, it took four minutes to review that VAR call. Zach. Four minutes. What, what are we hiring these VAR folks for? I know we talked about it earlier on, but this is just another incident where VAR is it's not being effective and it's not being efficient in the way that's used. It really isn't, yeah. And that's the irony in it, I think, that you just touched upon, is it's not being efficient. That's what they said is, you know, this is not only going to improve the game, but in a way, not speed the game up, but keep it going at the pace. And it's, I mean, the, the pace, the rhythm of the match is completely slowed. And it, that, that's something about football that I, I think is so so unique to the sport is that 
the the pace by which the game is going is so vitally important to how the game plays out mm -hmm. because the clock never stops because even between a goal and the restart of play is such a small amount of time that that energy that comes from from scoring a goal to go ahead or to tie a match and that that noise in the stadium that last match was uh, you know a home match for Sheffield United that you know the the way in which the energy was like skyrocketed by their goal and then just kept out a lull for a number of minutes, it really does change the complexion of how the 12th man plays into it. Uh, and I, I just think that the scales are so tipped uh, in the uh, question of is VAR, you know, ruining the game of football right now yeah i think something that i talked to my dad about a little bit my dad's obviously living back in the uk but he's out here in the u.s pretty frequently he's a big american football fan and one of the things that we talked about was they have this kind of the ruling on the field is basically what's considered first and then when you go to review is there enough to overturn that ruling on the field and in this instance it wasn't called on the field there was no offside called by the linesman who was like 20 feet away they then review it, it goes to VAR, and they overturn it on a small technicality. It didn't even look like it was even a technicality. It looked like it was on site to me. But that's something that I think they should be contemplating, ruling mm. on the field and then overturning it if there's clear and sufficient evidence that it was wrong. I, I completely agree with that. And it's it's surprising that we're saying any complimentary things about the NFL refereeing this season, <laughs> as, as it has been unbelievably abysmal. But I do think that... That is a great point that it should be about challenging the precedent. If the precedence is that it was a goal, like in the Sheffield United Spurs game, it needs to be enough to overturn. It needs to be blatantly obvious that that was the wrong call. And you're right, it wasn't. You had these what what looked like crudely drawn lines to define where the end of the body was for, for offsides. And you have these four-minute deliberations where clearly the referees are unsure of things. I think the biggest issue with VAR more than anything else is the inherent pressure that it seems to put on referees to change their call. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I'd be interested. This would be a crazy thing to be contemplating doing, but let's... Challenge let's, flags? Well, no, let, at the oh, end of the God. season, let's go through and have a regular fan of a non-Premier League team, just a fan of football in general, look at every VAR call that was made during the season and then the replays that kind of follow it and say whether they think it was the right call or not. I'd hazard a guess that they'd probably say that less than 50% of the time the right call was made. Yeah, I think that it really is playing such an instrumental role in, you know, kind of harming the game, especially in a sport and in a league where goals are at a premium. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, you know, Sheffield United... Can't complain for one second that they're in fifth right now, but obviously would love two more points. Yeah, agree. So let's pivot to Man United. Um, they had their most impressive run out of the season for me in their last game against Brighton. Um, fantastic. Looked absolutely amazing. Martial back in the team helped Rashford out um, a lot in that. I think that Martial, where's the number nine? Isn't a traditional number nine for them, um, but is somebody that I think can link up play really well, and I think he'll help bring Dan James's game on again he's starting to hit a little bit of form um, for them a lot of people also making the sorry a person making a lot of plaudits for Manchester um, United in that game is a Manchester born player Brandon Williams he made his debut at left back due to a couple injuries he's 19 years old um, earned a lot of plaudits yeah it was this very impressive performance by Man U I think that Martial over the last two seasons has really kind of been underappreciated as far as Man United players go they're he a better team with him 
on the field. Yeah, good way of putting it. Yeah, I think he serves a similar role to Mane when Mane first joined Liverpool. Mm-hmm. I, you see that Mane is really that kind of out-and-out winger at this point, but at first he was that role that was somewhat undefinable. It, there were times where he seemed like a, a forward, there were times when he was a winger, and there were times where he almost seemed like a uh, a midfielder who, who was kind of getting up a bit higher. This match, I, I think this is the one that is the hardest to predict for this weekend. In my mind, Sheffield United has been so stout at home and has really proved themselves. Men United are on the up. I'm going to go with a 2-1 Manchester United win. I am also predicting a Manchester United win, but I'm going to go with 1-0. 1-0, um, okay. Def- defensively, I think Sheffield United have been pretty solid, so I don't see it being a massively free-scoring affair. Um, and I think Man U are starting to kind of get to get to grips with the league right now. Solskjaer, I'm not hearing a lot of grumblings about him right now. He's, he's put together a good run of results. Yeah, I think for Man United fans, it's a case of realizing that other teams have it off way worse than they do with the manager. Yep, I think that's a great point. So should we should we get to it? All right, the the match of the weekend, uh, really for everybody. And uh, one thing I want to note here that the viewers will not be able to see is when Adam uh, wrote up the outline for this match. Uh, when writing the positions, he wrote Villa in 17th, which is true, and a, a little bit of what seems like a mistype, having Newcastle in second in the table. That's right. Uh, so some some wishful thinking, maybe some Premier League title chasing Newcastle. <laughs> Maybe wrote the outlines while sleepwalking here. It was, it was running off some subconscious. I legitimately think I was actually having a beer when I wrote the outlines. <laughs> that that does sound pretty plausible. But yeah, Villa hosting Newcastle. Certainly not uh, one of the more impressive matches uh, on paper. But Villa coming off that 2-1 loss. And Wolves sitting just outside of the relegation zone in Newcastle. Two wins on the bounce. Absolutely. The sec- Steve Bruce, two wins for two in November. November manager of the month. You have been saying that for, for a few weeks now, so I, I do have to give you credit for that. But another very impressive win at home against Bournemouth, who, who was on a great vein of form going into that match. Uh, yeah, I think that Villa, to, to touch on the home team before we go into our, our tune, uh, Villa is definitely trend, trending downward right now. Yep. Um, you know, uh, Jack Grealish has seemed to be somewhat stifled in recent matches. Wesley, I know, has scored a number of important goals, but certainly doesn't seem like the guy who's going to be putting up goals game after game. It does seem like there's not a lot of creativity in the way that that team is uh, kind of put out on the pitch. It's kind of a route one style mentality. Uh, and I think that, yeah, the, the goal, not the goal drop, but the, the issue with uh, who is scoring the goals at Villa is their biggest question right now. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, for Grealish specifically, he actually was out the last game. So they're really hoping that he will be fit for this one. And I think he's a real difference maker for them. When he's playing in that team, they're a much better team and they're a much more consistent team. He's chipped in with a couple goals already. So I think they definitely will... Um, look to hope that he is fit for this game. But let's get on to Newcastle. Two wins in a row, like you said. Bournemouth had three clean sheets in a row before they came in and played Newcastle. And what happened? I'll tell you what happened. Adams, stamp of approval for the week. Kieran Clark, Clark. joint top scorer for the tune with two goals, pops up. Don't think he even knew that he did it, but he scored a wonder goal from four yards out. Some people are saying he didn't even touch that ball. and video, I'm giving it to him. Videos show that he may not have made any contact, but the goal was given 
for Clark. Yeah, Newcastle. if that's the case, that means that Rico Fernandez is now the joint top goal scorer. It's, it's a set in the back either way. Phenomenal. Uh, yeah, a really important win for Newcastle, especially going down in that match. So as I mentioned before, when we talked about Bournemouth, they scored on a really, uh, a really impressive corner kick routine. Newcastle giving up that goal in the first half and a, a lot of resilience to come back in that one. Uh, yeah, it's, you know... Newcastle certainly is not pretty right now, but they're getting the job done. And for a team that was very, very highly touted as a relegation contender, and I think will be for the rest of the year, to be honest with you, uh, it doesn't matter how the goals come. Yep, exactly. I think Bruce will take them however they come, right? Um, you know, with a striker like Joe Linton, who scored one goal on the season, who's behind Kieran Clark and John Joe Shelby in the scoring charts. Um, really struggling and not being able to like score as many goals as he'd like to. We needed someone to step up. The defense has done that. Um, St. Maximin and Almiron, look, uh, that comedy I, moment in the game where um, the shot from Almiron was blocked by a laying on the floor of St. Maximin, who just been kind of uh, just fallen to the ground right in front of him. It really does seem like a Three Stooges operation going between the two men. They look so dangerous going forward and they can't finish a packet of crisps. It's, it's really, it really is like impressive impressive how they have avoided scoring goals this season the two of them I don't even know yeah i mean that moment where where uh you know almiron got the deflection and it seemed like an easy tap in and somehow saint maximin blocked his teammates shot was really a good summation of both of their seasons so far but i think you're right i think the more important thing is they are causing fits for the opponent's defense uh i do still think that regardless of what credit is given to steve bruce he is a complete moron to continue not playing at Miguel Almiron on the left wing. Because you watch Miguel Almiron for Paraguay this week in the uh, international break, put on the left wing where he has played his whole career and played unbelievably there. Yeah, I, I think scored that, as well. And scored as well. I, I think that the biggest gripe that I have with Steve Bruce right now is his stubbornness to stick with this same maximum on the left, Almiron on the right, when... Uh, like St. Maximin seems like he could be playing anywhere on the field. Yeah. Where, sure. Whereas Elmeron can only play on the left. Yep. I think I think you have to make that decision around that. It's not where you want to play them, it's where they can play. It's definitely interesting tactics from Bruce. Um, before we go into predictions, last thing, LaSalle's injury in that game out for three months. Gonna be gonna be tough, but I think that if there's one area of the pitch where we could probably afford an injury, it's in defense. I think the only other area of the pitch, absolutely. So as I made that joke about before, we have in a stupidly deep line of center backs uh, waiting to play. You have Lejeune, seeming like he's fairly close to coming out of his ACL injury. Shar is a day to day person right now, and then as you mentioned, Fernandez and Kieran Clark have started the last couple of games at center back for Newcastle. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I like what Lascelles brings to the team in terms of leadership. I do think that he is pretty consistently digressed over the last couple seasons. Uh, so, um, yeah, I, I don't think that is you know the nail in the coffin for Newcastle at the moment. No, I, I agree. I think we've got some strength there, and I think that you know we'll come through and, and be all right on the other side of that injury. So let's move on to predictions for this one. Uh, I'll, I'll start. I'm going with a 1-1 draw here. Um, I think there's a lot of animosity between these two teams going back to when the Villa fans celebrated Newcastle going down. I think we've enjoyed watching Villa's demise since then, and there mm -hmm. are many years in the championship, and obviously not coming up the year that we did. Um, so I think there's going to be a hostile environment, and I think a 1-1 draw is probably a safe call for me. 
I, yeah, I think that is a good call. I, you know, I'm, I'm going to do a little role reversal uh, that uh, for anybody who's listened to the pod in the past knows that I'm a fairly cynical Newcastle fan. Yeah, Newcastle 2-1 in this match. Ooh, a 2-1 to Newcastle. All right. Who scores the goals? Does Almiron or St. Maximin get the score sheet? Uh, I'm going to say Fernandez and Clark get the two of them. <laughs> That's a safe That's a safe, safe bet. All right. So, um yeah, that, that ends our predictions for the weekend, uh, all the, the 10 matches going on. And uh, just to give a quick little recap of the top scoring charts. So we're 12 matches into the season right now. Jamie Vardy still leading the lines with 11 goals. Uh, the next player behind him would be Tammy Abraham, the Chelsea U- young striker at 10. And then we have Sergio Aguero with nine goals, Aubameyang with eight, Raheem Sterling and Sadio Mane tied at seventh. Lots of great talent there. Absolutely. All right, so let's move on to a new segment here in the pod. Um, This is one that we're introducing for our new SB Nation following, and we're calling it Your Microphone Moment, Zach. And the purpose of this is really to kind of turn the attention over to you, our fans, um, sending us your questions that you'd like us to chat and discuss on the pod. Um, If you'd like to participate in that, um, to be able to do so, all you need to do is email us. We have a dedicated email at thefalsenines at gmail.com. Um, that's the false number nine S podcast at gmail.com. All lowercase. All lowercase. Does it take uppercase in emails? I don't even know. Let's go into it. It doesn't make a difference. It's all good. All right. So first question is from James in Denver. His question to us, Zach, is does Zlatan Ibrahimovic go back to the Premier League? And if not, where would he fit best at this stage in his career? I don't think there is any possibility that Zlatan goes back to the Premier League. The reason for that being twofold. I think the first is Zlatan Ibrahimovic uh, and the ego that he contains would not accept anything but world-class wages. And I don't think he gets that from a Premier League club. Uh, I think that him going to the MLS, and this is not to disparage the MLS at all, but but I do think that uh, he you know, went there because he knows that the money is there and knows that he could start for any team in the Premier League. I don't think that's the case in uh, the, or sorry, uh, he could start for any team in the MLS. I don't think that's the case for any team in the Premier League. I know that rumors have been flying around of a reuniting of him and Jose Mourinho at Spurs. Look at that. How good would that be? Harry Kane and Ibrahimovic up front? No, I I think that's completely just due to the history that they have and an exciting headline that, that journalists know they could grab readers by, but I don't think there's any way he goes back to the Prem. I could see him going to China. That would be my guess of his next league. It'd be a good you know, paycheck for him. I think similar to how the MLS was. Maybe Rafa Benitez signs him for Dalian Jiang or whatever they're called. Yeah, I think that's a good shout. Yeah. Finally put some discipline into Zlatan at the tail end of his career. Yeah, I agree. I don't think he's coming back to the Premier League either. Um, I think he could potentially head out there to Italy. I think that that league is probably somewhere that he could go and and, and still make a name for himself because really outside of Juventus, the teams aren't that strong. Mm -hmm. Um, so that'd be my my shout there. Okay, yeah, enter, enter. Yeah, give a shout out to Enter. Enter yeah, is having a great they, season so far. They are, and they um, welcome back a club legend. But no, Alexis Sanchez. He's out injured through the new year as that well. That's true. And yeah, only one goal so far. Oof, he's been a disaster, isn't he? Yeah. Um, all right, Rich from England. Do you feel there is parity in the way bigger clubs and smaller clubs are treated when breaking rules in English football? 
Basically, he feels like big clubs get a slap on the wrist and smaller clubs get the book thrown at them. He gave a couple of examples, Bolton, Luton. Bolton obviously went into administration, were docked 12 points. They're now at positive one points for the season, 13 games in. Um, compared to Chelsea, who broke the rules and got a transfer ban for the season, no points deduction, no hefty fine. And then West Ham, several seasons ago, fielded two ineligible players in um, Tevez, Carlos Tevez and Javier Mascherano in the league and avoided such penalties. Do you feel like there's one rule for um, the big clubs and one rule for the little ones, Zach? Um, I, I, I mean, I, I think that the repercussions that the league faces in, you know, really, really cracking down on a bigger club are, are pretty severe. And what I mean by that is that is kind of a cryptic sentence is I think that, you know, whether we like it or not, the, the Premier League is a business, football is a business, and the Premier League does not want to, you know, be putting a team like Chelsea that has such a massive international fan base uh, in, a, in a place where they might not be competitive for a season. So, yeah, I mean, I think that from a business perspective, it, it serves the best interests of the Premier League to keep Chelsea in the conversation of a team that you know isn't being docked points or isn't being punished too severely uh so in, in that sense i see where rich is coming from that being said i i don't think you're comparing apples to apples on this one I chelsea agree. didn't go into administration bolton and luton did and it's like it historically a team going into administration has always come with a points dock so i i, I think that Unfortunately, I, I agree with Rich in a sense. I think the rule is uh, kind of double standards, but I think he's a grasping at straws a little bit here. Yeah, I think one thing that I would mention also is that, you know, a, a fine for those teams is going to do nothing. Yes. Uh, a fine, you, know, you think about Roman Abramovich. Does he give a shit about, you know, a couple million pound fine? Probably not, right? Um, so I, I agree with you there. I think that unfortunately where they are is that they're lower league clubs and um, and you know and as a result of that they think where can we hit them hardest mm-hmm. um, and that's with points deductions and and you know and, and giving them these these fines for going into administration they, and they need to manage their clubs better by doing yes exactly so that's exactly the point i was going to make i like i don't think we can make them out to be a sob story they went into administration that's like that's something that shouldn't happen for yep. a professional that's unfortunate club. It's, it's unfortunate it's but, it, but it's but that's reality. Like yep. that shouldn't happen, and you shouldn't be given, you know, kind of a do-over for for that having happened. Uh, I do think that in the same sense that the rule seems to be applying differently for larger clubs, I think that you can't have a double standard. Yep. Like if you're gonna find Chelsea, let's say five hundred thousand pounds for breaking a rule, you have to be finding Bolton the same thing, whether it's gonna have yep. a bigger impact on them or not. Yeah. Um- for, for Luton specifically, good to see them back in the championship and not in the relegation places, fighting to stay out of them right now. And then Bolton to see them back in positive points after their points deduction in League One. All right, next up, Steve, also from England. Um, is Jose Mourinho the right replacement for Pochettino and will Spurs win a trophy under him? And a two-parter here. Was the Manchester United structure at fault for Mourinho's performance? Or has he lost touch with modern football? Let's take that first one. Um, first and talk about Mourinho being the right replacement, whether we think that's true, and will they win a trophy? Um, okay, so so yes and no question here. Uh, so I'm going to answer it as such. Uh, I think it's too... Well, actually, I'm not going to answer it as such. I think it's too early to judge if he's the right replacement. I would say that with any club hiring any manager. Uh, I think it's shocking uh, the, the way that this has transpired over the last day. I think that a lot of people you know, have their hesitancies to believe that Mourinho can can come back from what happened at Man United. Will Spurs win a trophy under him? Yes. Jose Mourinho 
wins trophies. Full stop right there. Yep, he knows how to win, that's for sure. I, I, I can't deny that. I think that the right replacement for Pochettino is a stretch. I do think that Jose Mourinho has been backed everywhere he's gone, and Levy is a is an owner that has shown that he doesn't always give funds, no matter how good the manager. However, that being said, I think the other thing to take into consideration is Jose Mourinho is somebody that likes to buy great players. Um, and with that in mind, what I'm saying is the way that Tottenham is currently set up is to bring youth players through or to kind of like look at bargain buys like Deli Alley from MK Dons and bringing those players through. It's not something that Mourinho is well known for. So it's something I, wor- I worry about them jiving in terms of the style of the club and the style of the manager historically. I agree, but I also think that Jose Mourinho is at the place in his career where he makes his demands very clear when he's being given a job proposition. And I'd have to think that him and Daniel Levy had very, very blunt talks about exactly what Jose Mourinho wanted. You'd hope so. Out of being this manager. Uh, going to the second part, was Man United's structure at fault uh, for Mourinho's kind of downfall or has Mourinho lost touch with modern football? Um, I think that it was the perfect storm at Man United. I think that Ed Woodward has no idea what he's doing. Uh, I think that the players that were there, yes, some of them were uh, the ones that Jose Mourinho recruited um, and then went on to vilify. So I I think that he has to inherit a decent amount of blame. But I I wouldn't say that either of these two things were the case. I don't think the structure was at fault. I don't think he's lost touch with modern football. I think it was just a combination of everything that that came together. I don't think he's lost touch with modern football. I think he's lost a step. I don't think he's the same manager that he was before in previous clubs. I think that he is... You know, teams know how to play against a Mourinho-organized team now. I feel like he's been in the Premier League long enough that like they know how to play against him and his setup. He's well known for the park the bus mentality, and I think teams have figured out how to break that down. So um, it'll be interesting. It's definitely a change in style for Spurs. I know not all Spurs fans are happy about it, including your old man. Um, so we'll we'll see how that goes. All right, we got one more question from our listeners here, Zach. Um, Dane from Denver asks us, what are the realistic chances that all three of Manchester United, Arsenal, and Spurs all miss out on the top four this season? And the one thing I will say to you as we kind of consider whether we answer that right now is that the top four right now are eight points ahead of the closest team that's the traditional top four team of Arsenal in sixth place. Ooh. That is an interesting question, Dane. Uh, I would say that the realistic chances that all three of Man United, Arsenal, and Spurs make out, miss out on the top four are higher than they've ever been. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Um, I would say if there's one club of those three that I think will make the top four, uh, it would be Manchester United. I think that Manchester United, despite you know, all the criticism they've taken over years, have a ton of talent on that pitch. I would say that on their day, when, when players are informed, they don't have a glaringly weak part of the team uh, like Arsenal does at uh, their center backs and like Spurs does at their lack of depth. Uh, but I, I would say that in my opinion, or in my prediction, I think Man United gets fourth. So I don't think that happens. Okay. Um, I actually think that they, all three teams will miss out this season. Okay. The top four are actually playing so well right now that my guess would be that we don't see necessarily any changes in who the top four teams are. There might be positional changes within the top four, but I think those teams all look super impressive right now. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and stick with the top four as they are and say, yes, all three miss out. All right. Yeah, I could see that happening, certainly. Uh, So, yeah, we're going to take one more quick break, and then we're going to hop into our final two sections of the day.
All right, so we are back. And uh, as I said before the break, uh, we just have a couple more sections for you guys before we wrap up for our inaugural episode uh, under the SB Nation Coming Home Newcastle umbrella. Uh, our first of the two is our armchair pundits section. Uh, so to new listeners, Armchair Pundits is a section in which Adam and I both present an opinion uh, that might be considered a bit out of the box and uh, something that uh, many football fans might disagree with. So without any further ado, Adam, what is your armchair punditry that you're dealing my way today? All right, here's my claim for you, Zach. Um, we kind of touched on it a little bit earlier. I wasn't expecting us to. My claim is that Jurgen Klopp will not win the Premier League Manager of the Year at the end of this season. All right. So to recap, he's 12 games into the season, um, undefeated, Liverpool looking as good as you've ever seen them before. Um, they have 30, uh, 34 points? Yeah, 34 points from 36 games. Um, th- 36 available, excuse me. Um, but with that in mind, they have looked a little bit shaky recently. I feel like at Villa, when they scraped that 2-1 win, they are 1-0 down for a good portion of that at Manchester United where they drop points and at home to Leicester where they could easily have done so. Um, they've looked a little shaky and I feel like they have a little blip in form in front of them. And I think we brought this up earlier in the pod. There's so many managers that are overperforming in terms of their expectations right now. We talked about a few of them, Chris Wilder, Brendan Rodgers, Frank Lampard, Graham Potter had even put into that in terms of where the expectations were for Brighton at the beginning of the season. That When you think about the expectations for Klopp, Champions League winner last season, second in the league, only one loss on the season. Season. He's doing exactly what people are expecting of him. Maybe a little bit better than they'd be expecting him, but still um, right, right up there where you would anticipate Liverpool would be. I'd also say that they haven't um, invested a ton in the squad and from a depth standpoint, um, they're an injury or two away from struggling defensively. You have Robertson who picked up a knock, didn't play for Scotland in the international break. So I feel as though there's there's definitely a chance that injuries could cost them and see them drop down the league. And I think then if the other teams can maintain, like Brendan Rodgers, I think Rodgers is certainly a front runner and Lampard to, to surpass them for manager of the year this year. Okay. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I do think that the only thing that prohibits Liverpool from winning the title at this point is a major injury or two. I think that they are far and away the best team in the Premier League. Uh, um, but yeah, I do like that. I think that the only way in which Jurgen Klopp wins manager of the year is if they go undefeated. I'll, yeah. make, I'll make that like mini armchair pundits prediction. The right Invincibles yeah. 2.0 maybe. They, uh, yeah, uh, I think that and maybe an even better version of the Invincibles with just the, the way in which they play and the, the way that they perform on the international level as well. Yep. Um, okay, yeah, I like that. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to turn my armchair pundits to our, our favorite club, unfortunately, Newcastle United. Uh, and I'm going to say, and again, I'm, I'm going to stick with this theme of me being weirdly positive about Newcastle. Oh, this is weird. This week. I'm going to say that Newcastle going into the final match of the season has a chance to finish in the top half. Okay. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, this case, obviously 12 matches in the season is on a very small sample size, but, but I do think that the, the confidence is coming into the team. I think that despite the fact that somehow Miguel Almiron and, uh, 
Saint Maximin didn't score this weekend, uh, this past match, as they honestly both should have had a goal. Uh, I, I think that they are feeling confident. I think that they both know that they are a breakthrough away from starting to score on a consistent basis. Uh, I, I think that really the only thing that holds Newcastle back this season is Steve Bruce. I think that every part of the team is fairly unchanged from the Rafa Benitez uh, years, where you know last year we we're a couple of matches away from finishing in the top half. And I think that uh, Steve Bruce is, can be his own worst enemy uh, in this team. And I think that the talent is there in midfield. Once we get Sean Longstaff back, uh, if he comes back into form as well, once, once the center backs are all healthy and we can start Fabian Schar and uh, Florian Lejeune next to each other, that is, that will be the best center back pairing in the bottom half of the table. Yeah, right there. I agree with that. That's, um, that's a good call. So, so I, I do believe in Newcastle. Uh, as crazy as that is for me to say, I absolutely think it's ludicrous for people to say that uh, Joe Linton it was a bad purchase. I don't think he is the problem no. at all. No. Um, which uh, you do see a lot of. You know, obviously, social media is a horrible representation of a, yeah. a fandom, but a lot of people are saying that he, you know, was a waste of money. But well, think about Rondon. Rondon, you know, had previously had Premier League experience and hit the ground running with West Brom when he was there. It took him a while to settle in as a South American as well. Yeah. And and you know, you think you look at Joe Linton. It's going to take him a while to settle. He's in a brand new country. Um, he's learned the language. It's going to be tough for him to, to really settle in quickly. I, I agree that Joe Linton's criticism is probably a bit unfair at this point. Let's judge him by the end of the season. Completely unwarranted. I Honestly, I, I would say it's a fairly, a, pretty much a free year for him. Uh, I think that anything you get out of Joe Linton this season is, is a bit of a bonus because he's in a new country. He's also in uh, working under a new manager. Um, so I, I think that those two factors come together. But yeah, Newcastle knocking on the door top half by the end of the season. All right, I like that. Good call, Zach. All right, let's get into 10 and 90. So for listeners that haven't plugged into um, the False Nines in the past, 10 and 90 is our section in which we try and ask 10 questions in 90 seconds. Never works out that way. I we have good intentions. We try very hard to do it. So it's kind of speed round for us. So five questions each. I will start. My theme for you this week, Zach, is English Premier League statistics at this point in the season. All right. Which team has the worst average possession over 12 games at 33%? We're going to go with Aston Villa. Newcastle United. Ah, very good. 33%. Burnley is the next closest at 40%. We could be in fourth right now, and that would be the answer. (laughs) Yeah, probably would be. Uh, Okay, number two. Which two teams have conceded the most penalties in the Premier League this season with four apiece? Um... We're going to go with which two teams you said? Yes. We're going to go with Brighton and Southampton. Norwich and Arsenal. In fact, the most penalties uh-huh. conceded by a player is David Luiz with two. Oh, okay. Yep. Right. So I'm over 0 for 2 slash 4 so far. 0 for 2. All right. Which player has had the most successful dribbles per match this season with an average of 4.6? All right. A successful dribble has always made very little sense to me as a statistic. I don't know Especially how. when it's 4.6. Yeah, but that's, a, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, give me a clue here. Uh, I will give you a clue. What, what is... continent is he from? Oh, oh my word, really? Yeah, um, that's the clue I want. Uh, he's English. He's English. Okay. Yep. Not and a continent, but uh, I appreciate it. Sure. But he is English. Uh, we're going to say that uh, Raheem Sterling. Wilfred Zaha. Oh, okay. Yep. 4.6. And then Alan St. Maximin and Adama Traore, defender, right. at 3.6 each are in second place. Very good. Which player has the most average accurate passes per match at 
five. Uh, In fact, the top two are comprised from players from the same team. I hate this statistic. Uh, accurate passes per match. Hell. Uh, um, That's a two, good one. You two players on the same team. Can you give me the team at least? Yeah, I'll give you the team. See if you can get it. Chelsea. Chelsea. We're going to go with um, Mason Mount and let's go with N'Golo Conte. Incorrect on both counts. Oh, my goodness. Jorginho with 69.5 average, most average accurate passes per match. And then Tamori. Ah, Tamori. 68 points. Damn it. That was, uh, I was thinking that. And I took cool. It away. All right. Last question for me in my 10 and 90. And then I've got a little bonus question for you as always. Three players have won possession in the final third of the pitch 18 times. That's the most in the Premier League. Can you name one of those three players? This is literally my nightmare of <laughs> 10 and 90 questions <laughs> right here. I uh, have one possession in the final third of the pitch the most times. Can I name one of those players? Uh, Two are really tough. One is a pretty offensive player. All right, let's, get, let's go player by player. Give me, give me team, each team. Liverpool. Sadio Mane. Yep. Southampton. <laughs> James Ward-Prowse. Danny Ings. Okay. <laughs> I wanted to go with a weird guess there. Burnley. Uh, Ashley Barnes. Dwight McNeil. Dwight McNeil. Ah, okay. All right. Well, so I've so got you are O for everything. I, I got one. I got Saudi money. Oh, come on. I gave you the team. Come on. That's that's a win for me. All right. Put it in the W column. All right. So last question for me, Zach. As I do every week, I make you pronounce a Welsh word because this is hilarious for everybody involved. Okay, for listeners at home, it's two words. It's B-O-R-E for the first word and D-A for the second. B-O-R-E-D-A. Borja. One more time. Borja. It's Borda. Borda. Okay. Borda. I think I overthought that one. And what does it mean, Zach? That means... uh, Merry Christmas. Good morning. Good morning. Okay. Wonderful. That's right. kind of like Merry Christmas. <laughs> I'm ready for this. I can't do any worse than you did in 10 and 90s. That hit me. That's true. Well, I also oftentimes don't ask questions that have a correct answer. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, I'm going to take a route of, uh, let's see, a, a bit more kind of opinionated questions rather than factual ones because okay. I, I don't want to insult you like you just did me. Um, question number one. How long is Jose Mourinho the manager at Tottenham Hotspur? Three seasons. Three seasons. Okay. Is he fired or does he quit? I think he quits. Yeah, I like that for sure. Yeah. Um, a big huff. Okay. Uh, Kieran Clark is currently the top scorer at Newcastle United at year's end. Who will be the top scorer at Newcastle United? Rico Fernandez. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just uh, Oh, who's top scorer? It has to be Joe Linton, right? Yeah, I think he gets a fan of form. I think it has to be. Scores at least... Four, which make him the job scorer. <laughs> uh, okay, question number three. How long does Eddie Howe stay at Bournemouth, and where will he go after? Oh, I don't like this one. I don't want to think about Eddie Howe leaving Bournemouth. I think it's inevitable, though. I think no. he's the hot name in England. No, I, I, oh, I don't know. Uh, he's, a, he's a great coach. Um, Eddie Howe right now is 41 years old, so he's got a huge, huge managerial career. Meaning that he will eventually leave Bournemouth. How much longer does he stay at Bournemouth, and where will he go afterwards? Four years, and I think he succeeds... Gareth Southgate as England manager. Love that answer. I would, okay, I, I was thinking that as well. Um, all right, nice. Uh, question number four. Wales, as you mentioned, have now officially Wales. qualified 
for way uh, for I was gonna say Wales twenty twenty Euro twenty twenty. None of the matches will be played in Wales. Uh, what is the result in the upcoming tournament next summer? Oof, I think we get out of the group stages. Okay. Uh, Made the semi-finals in t- 2016. Amazingly enough. Let's say that we go out in the last 16. Last 16. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I like that. Does Hal Robson... Follow-up question. Does Hal Robson Connery send somebody into the stands with a Cruyff turn as he did against Belgium in 2016? He does not. Kiefer Moore of Wigan Athletic does. Oh, okay. Wigan yep. Athletic. I like that. Um, all right. Question number five. Uh, does the United States of America make the 2022 World Cup? They do not. Oh. Right. Yeah. I don't think that team is anywhere near good enough to qualify at this point. That's a fair point. We did beat Canada with a resounding comeback last last and match. And 4-0 at Cuba. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. We're, we're awful. Anyhow. All right. Well, that was fun, Zach. That was fun. So that was our first SB Nation episode under the Coming Home Newcastle title, our 31st episode overall. You'll be able to find all of our episodes under Coming Home Newcastle. Um, So we will be available under uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts uh, by searching Coming Home Newcastle, which is the channel name, or by searching The False Nights. Yeah, I just want to give a big shout out to our listeners. Thank you for for giving us a try. We are the only Freddie Adu endorsed podcast on SB Nation. Um, So certainly a very, very special group of uh, group of podcasters here on the false nine so thanks for listening all right until next time footy footy